Lukewarm Christianity. This mindset believes God loves us so much that He would never send us to hell. God understands my ungodly behavior, besides, I never killed anyone. I believe some of the Bible, that must be enough for heaven. God can't really expect us to be that committed, besides, with all of those do's and don'ts, it's more like a cult, they're trying to control me. God's view of lukewarm believers, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Before we investigate the absurd notion that our lifestyle really isn't important to our faith, and as long as we believe in Jesus our ticket is punched, and hell is just for the devil and really bad people, let me say this. When I gave my life to Christ in 1986 as a 26-year-old, I really did just that. I took my hands off the wheel of this life, and Christ-like living was all that I could think of. I was constantly checking my heart for deep-rooted sins like unforgiveness, anger, rejection etc. I became radically transformed and a light to everyone who knew me to see. I shined brightly. But after 10 years, and a million assaults, lies, and evil actions by others, and failure to continue myself, I fell away for a year or so. That has happened a few times in my 34 years. I would go back into some of the sins that I have been delivered from to find comfort and solace, but like always, they have a tendency to become addictions. So, when I was for God, I was 100% in, and when I was away from God, I was away. I didn't continue to pray and act like a believer because I felt like a hypocrite like a phony. I knew friends who went through similar situations that would have Bible studies, smoke pot and talk about God, or get a buzz on with alcohol and talk about the scriptures, but I couldn't do that. Of course, as I went from on fire to cold as ice there were short moments that I did, and I knew it was wrong, so, I'm no saint. I'm not Joseph who trusted God all throughout, I'm Peter who gave up and said, I go a-fishing. Back to what I was doing before salvation. The Bible says that God would rather have us hot or cold and now I understand that. When I'm hot, the more that I give myself to obey the Word and follow God despite my own opinion, I get hotter. When I'm cold, God is always able to bring me to the end of myself, like a dog returning to his own vomit, and I behave like the prodigal son, and return to the love of the Father. The real problem that God has with us is when we are lukewarm. When we are not living a godly life, but believe we are fine anyway, God attempts to bring conviction to us but we don't receive it, we push it away saying, that's the devil trying to condemn me and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We can't see that we are no longer in Christ Jesus. As a result of that mindset, God is unable to help us. It's similar to the heart of the Pharisees. So, let's begin to look at God's opinion of lukewarmness and decide for ourselves if we really are right with God or under strong delusion, and fooling ourselves, which can have horrendous consequences when we stand before God. So, go. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So, then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, Rev 3 colon 15 and 16. Thou art neither cold or hot but worse than either. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Lukewarmness in religion is the worst temper in the world. If religion is a real thing, it is the most excellent thing, therefore we should be in good earnest in it. If religion is worth anything, it is worth everything, and indifference in adhering to it here is inexcusable. There is no room for neutrality. Christ expects that men should declare themselves for him or against him not in word alone, which is just being an imposter, but in action and lifestyle, living as Christ. The severe punishment, I will spew thee out of my mouth. As lukewarm water turns the stomach, and provokes a vomit, lukewarm professors turn God's stomach, figuratively, and the heart of Christ against them. He is sick of them, and cannot long bear it. The important understanding is, though we call our lukewarmness, love, meekness and largeness of soul, it is nauseous to Christ. We shall be rejected. The cause of this is self-conceit or self-delusion. 
The thought that we are fine and in need of nothing, causes us to be indifferent to the need to change. The high thoughts we have of ourselves and the thoughts Christ has of us are opposite. We say I'm fine to live the way I am, I've learned religion and take that for salvation, I have some gifts and take that for grace, I have some insight and take that for wisdom, I've learned ordinances and act upon them to a point. Doubtless there are many in hell that once thought themselves to be in the way of heaven. Let us daily beg of God that we might not flatter and deceive ourselves concerning our souls. The thought Christ has of us is not mistaken, He knows those who are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked, even if they don't. We become prideful, blind to Christ, self-justified and yet full of pollution, our righteousness becomes filthy rags defiling us. The good counsels of Christ are in vain because we continue in our false opinions of ourselves. We must part with sin and self-sufficiency and come to Christ with a sense of poverty and emptiness that we may be filled. Put off the filthy rags and put on the righteous garments, even Christ and His precepts. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goes his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was, John 1 22-25. The most frequent hearing of the word will not avail us, unless we be also doers. It is not enough to remember it, repeat it, give testimony of it, commend it, and write it, but we must practice it, or it will never bring us to heaven. It is without a doubt, indispensably necessary to obey what we've heard. We must have the outward practice of obedience, or the word profits us nothing. We become self-deceivers. The original word paralogis ominal, signifies men's arguing sophistically to themselves. Their reasoning is deceitful when they would hear it and not feel obligated to obey it. Their hearts are empty of good affections and resolutions, and lives fruitless of good works. Self-deceit is the worst deceit of all in the end. The Word of God shows us our sins, that we might repent from them, turn 180 degrees from them, and get pardoned. It shows us what is Amos, that we might amend. He that beholds his sin through the Word, as his face in a mirror, then walks away and forgets about it, never correcting it, is true deception. Hearers of the Word and not doers. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, he is like a man which built an house on a rock, storm beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, but he that heareth and do not, the ruin of that house was great, LK 721-23. It is not enough to hear the sayings of Christ, but we must do them, not enough to profess relation to Him, as His servant, but we must obey Him. It is putting an affront upon Him to call Him Lord, as if we were holy at His command, and have devoted ourselves to His service. If we do not conform to His will, we do but mock Christ, calling Him Lord and yet walking in the way of our own hearts and what seems good in our eyes. If we do not obey His commands, He turns away His ears and our prayers become an abomination. Hearing the sayings of Christ will not bring us to heaven, unless we do them. When we do them, we are like a house built upon a rock, that can't be moved by storms. Obedient believers are kept by the power of Christ, through faith, unto salvation and shall never perish. Disobedient are not. Such is the hope for hypocrite believers. You hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me Mk. 7-6 and 7. God reproves hypocrisy in pretending to honour God, when they really show no such design in their actions. They honour me with their lips, they pretend to do things on the outside to distinguish themselves from the unsaved, but really there is far from God, and is governed by nothing but ambition and covetousness. They think they are God's people, when they would never consider doing the things He commands. They rest in their outward observances, though their hearts are not right with God. They worship God in vain. 
it does them absolutely no good. God is not pleased with such Shem devotions, nor does it profit them. Instead of pressing into the great teachings of Christ, they do some outward observances. They should be focusing on the inward purification of the heart from worldly fleshly lusts, which God requires is absolutely necessary to our communion with Him, but instead, they presumptuously go about their lives as hypocrites kindling God's displeasure with them, that in the end becomes tragedy. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, reprobate. There are many that in word profess to know God, and yet in their lives and conversation denying and rejecting Him, their practice is a contradiction to their profession. They become abominable, delicto, deserving that God and good men should turn away their eyes from them as nauseous and offensive. And disobedient, apetheous, unpersuadable and unbelieving. Reprobate, without skill or judgment to do anything right. This is the miserable condition of hypocrites. It is considered an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We should be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, many will say, In thy name have we done many wonderful acts. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. All judgment is committed to our Lord Jesus Christ, the keys are put into his hands, he has power to prescribe new items of life and death, and to judge men according to them. Now this is a solemn declaration according to that power. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of grace and glory. We might pray to God, Lord, Lord, outwardly, but if our life doesn't line up with Christ's ordinances, we are but sounding brass, and a tinkling cymbal. It is necessary that we should do the will of Christ. Now this is the will of our Father in heaven, that we believe in Christ, that we repent from sin, turn from doing it, that we live a holy life, that we love one another, our sanctification. If we don't comply with the will of God, we mock Christ in calling Him Lord, similar to when the soldiers put the gorgeous robe on Him after His scourging, and said, Hail, King of the Jews. We mock Him openly. Only real holiness and sanctification is acceptable to God. Many have done miracles and yet end in hell, in Thy name we have done many wonderful works, Judas cast out devils and yet was the son of perdition. Christ, I never knew You. It is possible for men to have a great name for piety in the world, and yet be workers of iniquity and those that are so will receive the greater damnation. To be separated from Christ is the very hell of hell, the foundation of all misery of the damned, to be cut off from all hope. This should be an awakening word to all Christians. A great awakening. All that name the name of Christ must depart from iniquity. So, we can see the importance of obeying all of God's commands. We are not Christians because we say that we are, we are Christians when we make it our lives ambition to adhere to God's principles, and are willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish it. As it is written, if your hand offends you, cut it off, we do whatever is necessary to follow Christ so we don't end up in hell. As Christ said, not my will, but thy will be done, even if they crucify me. Sometimes it feels like that for us as we fight the flesh and truly change, but that's just the way it is. Christ did it and is our example. It's time for us to pick up our cross and follow the Lord not in word only, but in deed. So, let us look at some of these precepts that we are to emulate, and endeavor to see God accomplish them in us by His power, and our commitment to persevere. Charity suffereth long, and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, endureth all things. 
Charity never faileth 1 Cor 13 4-8. The Apostle gives us some effects of love, that we might know if we possess it, and if not that we might fall in love with that which is exceedingly admirable, and not rest until we have obtained it. Long-suffering, macrothyme, it can endure evil, injury and provocation, without being filled with resentment, indignation, or revenge. It makes the mind firm, gives it power over the angry passions with a preserving patience, and would rather wait and wish for reconciliation, than fly out in resentment. Puts up with many slights and neglects, and waits patiently for these kind effects on them. It is kind, crestutai, it is bountiful, courteous, and obliging. Ready to show favors and do good. Seeks to be useful, and not only seizes opportunities to do good, but searches for them. Inclined to do all the good they are able to. Love suppresses envy, it's not grieved by good done to others, nor their gifts or good qualities. Love subdues pride, and vainglory. It vaunteth not itself, is not blotted with self-conceit, does not swell upon its acquisitions. Does not despise or trample on others, or treat them with contempt. True love gives us an esteem and value of others, and prevents arrogance. Love stands opposed to a sincere face that is put on, and sincere words that are said without any regard to the truth, or intention of good. Love abhors falsehoods. Nothing denies love more than a lie. Love does nothing that seems base or vile, but does what is right, respect to superiors, kindness to inferiors, courtesy and goodwill to all. Love doesn't misbehave. It is the utter enemy of selfishness, doesn't advance itself at the cost to others. Is never angry without a cause and confines those passions within proper limits. Anger can never live with love. Is quick to reconcile, does not suspect evil of others or charge them with guilt when no sort appears. Not jealous or suspicious. Does not indulge suspicion without proofs. The very height of malice to take pleasure in the misery of others. It bears up under curses, slanders, prison, exile. Out of mere simplicity and silliness believes every word. Love makes the best of everything, and puts on the best face and appearances. It will judge well, and believe well, it will stretch its faith beyond for support of truth. When it cannot believe well of others because of their actions, it hopes. What a lovely mind that is infused with such love and has diffused over its whole body. Happy is the man who has the heavenly fire glowing in his heart diffusing its warmth over all who hear and see. How beautiful would Christianity be to the world, if those who profess it were more driven by these principles, and paid regard to the command put on it by the blessed author, that you love one another as I have loved you. How few of professed disciples are distinguished by this characteristic? Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, Mount 11:29. Christ has erected a great school, and has invited us to be his scholars. We must associate ourselves with his teachings, and daily attend instructions he gives by his word and spirit, we must be conformed to him. Some make the verse, I am weak and lowly and hard to be the lesson we are to learn here, but we are called to learn of Christ, to learn Christ, becoming Christ-like. He was saying that he was fit to teach as one who is meek and lowly of heart, not demanding and forceful. He is meek and has compassion on the ignorant, he knows best how to open their understanding. Like when the disciples were heedless and forgetful, he was not extreme or mocked them. He was lowly in heart, he condescended to teach the novices. This humility and meekness qualified him to teach, and will qualify us, for the meek he can guide into true judgment. This brings rest to our souls, by sitting at Christ's feet and hearing his words. The truths Christ teaches are such that we can trust our soul upon. Rest for our souls. These affections and principles give us rest in the love of God and Jesus Christ. This rest we gain as we learn from Him and obey. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye Him. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, 
and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Jaw 1:21. The word here translated filthiness signifies those lusts which have the greater sensuality to them, and the words rendered superfluity of naughtiness may be understood of the overflowing of malice and other spiritual wickedness. Hereby we are taught to lay aside those gross and filthy dispositions and affections which show a person to be filthy, but also, the disorders of a corrupt heart. Observe, sin is a defiling thing, it is called filthiness itself. It is not enough to restrain evil affections, but they must be cast off, is 30:22. thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. This must extend not only to outward sins, but to all sin of thought and affection as well as speech and practice. Passan riparian, all filthiness, everything that is corrupt and sinful. We are directed how to do it, receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word of God, we are to receive it, assent to the truth of it, consent to the laws of it, the gospel engrafted into our soul. We must therefore yield ourselves to the word of God, with most submissive, humble tempers, this is to receive it with meekness. Being willing to hear our faults, and taking it not only patiently, but thankfully, desiring to be molded and formed by the doctrine and precepts of the gospel. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Thou 5 22 and 23. The Apostle tells us in this chapter not to use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. He recommends to us, love, to God, especially, and to one another for His sake. Joy which may be understood cheerfulness in conversation with our friends, a rather constant delight in God and a peace with God and conscience, or peaceableness and behavior and temper towards others, long-suffering, patience to defer anger, and a contentedness to bear injuries. Gentleness, such a sweet of temper and especially towards our inferiors, being courteous and easy to be entreated when any have wronged us. Goodness, kindness, which shows itself a readiness to do good to all we have opportunity, faith, fidelity, justice and honesty in what we profess and promise to others. Meekness, wherewith to govern our passions and resentments, so as not to be easily provoked, and when we are to be soon pacified. Temperance, in meat and drink and other enjoyments of life, not to be excessive in use of them. The Apostle says, there is no law against them, to condemn or punish them, for these fruits of the Spirit, in whomsoever they are found, plainly shows that such are led by the Spirit, the true proof of being led by God's Spirit, and consequently, they are not under the law. Now I Paul myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence is base among you, but being absent and bold toward you, 2 Cor 10-1. There was no place that the Apostle Paul met with more opposition from false apostles than at Corinth. Though he was blameless and inoffensive in all that he did and said, and so condescending and useful to all, yet there were those that bare him ill will, who envied him, and did all they could to undermine him. Here we may observe the mild and humble manner in which he addressed them. He addressed them very kindly and lovingly in manner. In the midst of the greatest provocations he shows humility and mildness from considering the humility Christ showed to those whom he taught, as his children. When we find ourselves tempted or inclined to be rough and severe to anybody, we should think of Christ, when he walked in a fleshly body, though he was headed to the cross, he had grace towards poor souls. But we were Gentile among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, first 2-7. The Apostle Paul showed great mildness and tenderness who could have acted with the authority of an Apostle of Christ. He accommodated himself to all men's capacities, and became all things to all men. He showed the kindness and care of a nurse that cherishes her children. This is the way to win people, rather than to rule with rigor. The Word of God is indeed powerful, and comes with its own power and awful authority on the minds of men, and is more effective when the ministers consider the needs of those hearing. 
and as a nursing mother gently bears a child desiring to do good, draws out her breast, cherishing it in her bosom, so, the ministers of Christ should towards their people. The servant must not strive, but be Gentile unto all men and patient, 2 T2 24, being affectionately desirous of their welfare and salvation. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, 2 T2 25. Those that oppose themselves to the truth are to be instructed concerning their errors, not fought with. They are to be instructed in meekness. This is the way to convey truth in its light and power, and to overcome evil with good. We must have our eye on their recovery, not winning an argument. That God will give them repentance acknowledging to the truth. God brings the discovery of truth by His grace, not our wisdom, and forcing and belittling. When we do that, we pervert the view of the gospel with our rude actions. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but Gentile, showing all meekness, to all men, tit 3-2. To be no brawlers, amishus ani, no fighters either with hand or tongue, no quarrelsome contentious person, apt to give or return ill and provoking language. Christians must be peaceful, not rough, boisterous and hurtful. Be like God, slow to anger and ready to forgive. We must be of a mild disposition, and not only have meekness in our hearts, but show it in our speech and conduct. This is a commanded imitation of Christ. These are just a few of the attributes of Christ, but show us a clear understanding of the truth of being Christ-like. To just live our lives without the desperate need to change in all of these areas of life and all the others that I did not mention, is to deny Christ, becoming an imposter. It should be very obvious to all lukewarm believers that if they want to call themselves true Christians, then they have a lifetime of problems to work on to change, and failure to do that without any real resolve, is to be a phony. You are just pretending to be a Christian, no matter what your parents or pastor says. When you stand before God, you will be spewed out of His mouth. So, what do you say? Let's embrace these principles and endeavor to become them. The time is now. The love of God constrains me. If you love me, obey me.